I made this note. I said, have you ever noticed how much of the Bible deals with our behavior? It's because behavior over time is a visible representation of what is really in our hearts. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Holy Father, we come before you today and I'm just reminded every day of of my desperate need for you. God, I pray that no one in the church house today would ever get to the point where we somehow think we got this. But I pray every day will be a day of desperation for you, for your glory, for your fame, the renown of your name to go forth with power and truth. And Father, we know that for those that are walking in darkness, that it will take a work of the Holy Spirit divinely illuminating. And so, Father, we just pray to that end. We pray for those that perhaps are even in this room today that are walking in darkness. God, we pray they'd be set free today. For those that are watching online, for those that are listening, for those in our families and our co-workers and our friends, God, for those that are rebelling against You, God, we pray You would set them free. Because God, we know that as the Word is brought forth, that it's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing to the division there of the soul, the heart, and the mind, and understanding our true intents of our hearts, of our minds. We can run, but we can't hide. So, Father, I pray that today would be a day that we, we no longer surrender some, but we'd surrender all. And so, Holy Spirit, would You work? Take these feeble words from a, a broken man, and I pray that You would somehow use them to change us and make us by the power of Your Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we just give You this time as we confess, as we repent, as we long to look more like Jesus. God, I pray that would happen today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, looking at Verse 12, just one verse today, and as you're finding that Scripture in your Bible and getting your notes ready to receive the implanted Word of God gladly and to make note of what the Holy Spirit speaks into your life, today is what we call Sanctity of Life Sunday, 
and I believe in the sanctity of life. I believe that God creates, He fashions in the womb, and unfortunately in 1973, uh, that was what we call the first domino that fell. I believe the enemy, that he knew that if he could get us to buy into the lie and exchange the truth of God for the lie, that somehow that, that human life is not important, that if we begin to devalue it, that that would be the catalyst that would set in motion the remaining dominoes. And, and we've seen that. We've seen what happened, that in 73, Roe v. Wade fell over. Uh, life's not important. Just do what you want. And then we now know that the assault on marriage has happened. Is it really one man and one woman for a lifetime? Is that what the Scripture says? And of course, the culture says no, and here we go with that domino falling over. And now we're in a culture where we're asking questions. Do we know if we're really a man? Are we really a woman? The dominoes just keep falling. And think about this, church, that if you can get people to devalue human life, you can get them to devalue just about anything. And so here we are. Welcome to the new reality. And if we're not armed with the Scriptures, if we're not a, a people, if we're not individuals that say, as for me and my house, there has to be a declaration. Even students, as, as you're growing up in your teenage years and your college years and your young adult years, you, you must be a person that, that says, I'm going to live for Jesus even if none go with me. Because the days are over when you can live in partial Christianity. The days are gone. You can no longer be a casual Christian. Those days are over officially. What's going to happen, I predict, is that the workplace, the learning environments are going to begin to call you out. And if you're not armed with truth, if you're not anchored with truth, what will you do? Will you bend? Will you buckle? Will you break? Or will you be that person, that man, that woman, that student, that child that simply declares, as for me and my house, I'm going to live for the Lord all the days of my life. No more part-time Christianity. Because when the heat is turned up, when the heat on the burner of persecution is turned up and it's, it's going in that direction, you won't be able to fake it anymore. And I was thinking about that thought, and you know, the Bible tells us this church that the enemy is the father of all lies. So he's a liar, he's the accuser of the brethren, he hates you with a vengeance, he hates Jesus. And so think about this from a deductive standpoint. If he's the father of all lies, what's the one thing he's going to try to keep you from? The truth. He's going to do everything in his power to keep you from the truth. See, a people, a church, a family, a home that 
that minds the truth, that sits under, that submits to the truth, that there's protection under there. There, there are guardrails here. It's like being a parent to a child that even though the child may not like it, they actually crave it. There's security because they know there's love there. They, they know there's boundaries in place. Again, they may not like it, but they know within their heart and their soul that there's protection. There's protection and security under the truth of God's words. And yet, if we're not careful, we can get sucked into this culture that continues to rebel and live a life of defiance. We must be a people that internalize the truth, being conformed to the image of Christ. And why does Satan do this? Why? Well, he knows this. He knows the truth will set you free. And so he's going to do everything he can, give you every excuse on why not to be here. Every excuse on why not to be in discipleship. Every excuse he's going to give you, and they're going to be plausible, rational decisions that are going to be made. But when you and I don't take our relationship with Christ seriously, our faith begins to be not serious. You say, what's that have to do with James 5? Well, I think everything. One man said it like this, sermonettes produce Christianettes. And we're living in this culture because the insanity is we actually believe often and bend to the one who actually hates us. Think about this for a moment. We hear his lies, we believe it, we internalize it, we make decisions on what he's speaking into our life, and he's the one that actually hates us. And John MacArthur said it so well, he said the Often the most difficult person to reach is a false Christian. We know that there's sheep and goats. We know there's weed and tares. That's the the challenge in ministering to the American church. And yet we do so with vigilance. We do so without any apology of the truth of God's Word. Why? Because we know it's the truth of God that's going to free you from the prison cell you're in. See, James 5 is so beautiful when these words are spoken, and I pray you have your Bible open as we look at our theme of being all in in 21. And the message title today is just a question. It is this, do I do what I say? Do I, make it very personal, do I do what I say? Well, here's what this one verse says from James 5 verse 12, but above all, he says, My brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? So that you may not fall under condemnation. Boy, a powerful, powerful verse as we just continue to go verse by verse through this glorious book of James. And you're probably wondering, as I did when I read that, I thought, what does this have in connection with verse 10 and 11 that we studied last week? So let's read verse 10 and 11 to see. So verse 10 says it like this in our context, as an example of suffering and patience. So there's the suffering, there's the patience, the endurance, brothers, believers, take look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They had one mission, one goal, 
that was to speak in the name of the Lord. Behold, verse 11, listen up, here it is. We consider those blessed, happy, content, who remained anchored, steadfast. And then he said this, you've heard, here's the example of the steadfastness of, of Job. And you've seen, you've seen, don't miss this church, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. This is so key that we see the end game, the end aim of the purpose behind our pain that God is graciously allowing into our lives, that we see it. That we don't miss it. Jesus even said there to Simon Peter there in, in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, the enemy has demanded that he have you. He's requested to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. That he might shake you to the core. That he might rattle your cage that He might test you to see if this is really real. Sounds familiar in Job, doesn't it? And then in that same text, the Bible says this, Jesus speaking, as you are being shaken and rattled around, as you're being sifted, Jesus says, but I, but I have prayed for you. Think about this. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith will be strengthened. And then Jesus says these words, and when you return, go strengthen your brothers. See, all believers will go through a sifting time in your life where you're being shaken, where you don't understand. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair, but God is shaking to refine you and me, to make our faith stronger, to build the spiritual muscle. And here we see so clearly that James is pointing to this, and then all of a sudden he says, but above all, not hey, here's just something to add on to the list. He says literally, but above all. This is so important, he says. But above all that you do in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of when God is not going your way and you're debating, and am I still going to go God's way? He says, but above all, do not do what? He says, do not, my brothers, swear. It's interesting when you see that first part as we tear this verse apart, we'll call this part A. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath. What is James getting at here? What does this have to do with verses 10 and 11? Some scholars would argue nothing. I think we can make a connection here as we work through this together, as we mine it, as we internalize it. Think about this for a moment. Let's get a little context. So, not a trick question, but who's the audience here? Jewish believers. Jewish believers are the audience. And he's writing to them. We apply it to our lives. James here, when he says, do not swear, he's, he's not saying don't cuss. Although, don't cuss. Amen? 
don't run out of here like ending that statement where I said, he's not saying this, and then you run out of the parking lot and slip on the ice and don't do that. It's not what he's saying, but don't do it. And this is why we we push and we promote the Word of God here. We, we push and we promote Sunday school. We push and we promote discipleship classes. If you're just reading Scripture on the surface level and you're not diving into an understanding context and, and digging and mining it, you're going to miss it. It's dangerous. Then we begin to cherry-pick verses. You know, we, we put them on wooden signs and put them in our living room. Live, laugh, and love, or whatever, right? And it's so good, and we think it sounds great, and we don't know what it means. You got to remember that James is speaking to a Jewish audience. Don't miss that, because we're going to see something very clearly here, some dots that are going to get connected that just inspire me and get me real excited of how the Word of God does this all throughout. Because again, church, you know this. We say this all the time. We ask this question, what is the best commentary on Scripture? It's Scripture itself. If you can grasp onto that, if you can begin to internalize that, that as you read one Scripture, I promise you there's going to be some sort of connection through other points of Scripture that there's going to be fidelity and truth that are going to sustain it and uphold it, and it's going to make more sense and bring more clarity to your mind and your heart and your soul. You're going to remember the context here. If you just look at that verse, verse 12, is it was a common practice in that culture to take oaths. The word swear there, literally, when you look at it and you study that in the the Greek, you see very clearly what it means. It means to take an oath or take a vow. So begin to process that in the context that it is. So uh, do not swear, do not take an oath or a vow. Again, he's not saying you can never enter into any sort of contract. That's not what he's saying here. We're going to see very clearly what he means because he adds in here, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, what is he talking about? Well, when you see it, remember in that context of the day, they had these people called the Pharisees. They were a, just a great bunch of people, weren't they? Wrong. They were deceptive. They were very religious. They looked great on the outside, raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, got dunked. But the heart wasn't changed. Actually, the heart was rotten to the core. These are deceptive people that were trying to lead people away from Christ. They hated Jesus with a vengeance. But what did they do? They created a system that would feed the me monster. That's what they did. So they had this system of oaths. So here's the deal. So if in public they said, hey, this is under the name of God. Well, okay, that's pretty binding. Someone's going to hold their hand to the fire, but if they were to say, hey, this is going to be a little bit different, and this is not in public, and this is not under the name of God, well, I got a loophole here, and I can wiggle out of something that I never on the front end was going to commit to anyway. Just total dishonesty, total distrust, that's what these dudes were all about. James is saying, I know you're suffering I know God is not going the way you want Him to go. And then all of a sudden, He says, but above all. 
So we can deduct from human reasoning here through the illumination of the Holy Spirit that this must have been a problem. I mean, if someone interrupts your conversation today and says, but above all, please, please do X. Please don't do Y. But above all, like what does that tell you? This is warning. This is mission critical. This is, this is going to be a big, big deal. Like, don't do this. Do do this. Whatever they're telling you to do or not to do, it's a big deal. That's what James is saying here. He's like, look, I know you're going through hard times, but above all, no longer walk in this sin. I was thinking through that and couldn't help but make the thought as I was praying and convicted, to be blunt, by the times that I might say something and then find my own loophole, how to get out of it. I made this note, I said, have you ever noticed how much of the Bible deals with our behavior? It's because behavior over time is a visible representation of what is really in our hearts. Here's something I've learned through my own brokenness and sinfulness. Let's call it what it is. It's sinfulness. It's wicked. Is that time is the great exposure of who we all really are. Time is the great exposer of who we all really are. You can only keep up the charade for so long. At some point, we're going to lose track of the lies and the schemes and we'll slip up and be revealed. And as I was thinking through that, key number one just hit me. And I want you to write it down. So here's key number one. As a Christ follower, when I speak, my speech should expose, there's that word, a heart that does not manipulate nor make rash commitments. Let me say that again. Key number one, as a Christ follower, when I speak, My speech should expose a heart that does not manipulate nor make rash commitments. The challenge with being a sinful person in a broken, fallen, sinful world is that none of us, myself at the top of the list, have to coach ourselves up into manipulation. It's just a default mechanism. Why? Because the me monster loves and begs to be fed. It craves. It craves to be satisfied. And so often the way that we do that is through twisting and distorting. And right here, James is saying, look, but above all, don't make these vows, these commitments. Don't do this rashly. Don't do this. He's, he's imploring them. He's saying there are going to be great consequences if you do this. I mean, think about this, when you suffer, and maybe some of you are, and if you are, my heart goes out to you if you're suffering today, 
Perhaps some has been inflicted upon you, and like myself, maybe some that has been self-inflicted. When you suffer, when I suffer, what do we typically do? Well, we're looking for the exit ramps, right? And so often, if we're not careful, it's easy to begin to bargain with God, isn't it? God, if you just get me out of this situation, I promise you, I promise you, God, I will go to Africa this time. I will even live in that hut. Because we're so desperate to get out of the pain. And here's the disconnect. We already know that God has a plan and a purpose for our pain. He's got us in the refiner's fire to remove the dross, to scrape off the impurities. And if we're scrambling to get out of the refiner's fire and we're not done yet, there's going to be a whole lot of issues and consequences on the back end. That's the part of endurance. Did you see the steadfastness of Job, he said in 10 and 11? He gave the example. Job says, though you may slay me, yet I'm going to trust in you. You give, you take away, but I'm going to bless your name. I don't hear a whole lot of squirming to get out of the fire. I hear a whole lot of steadfast, persevering, being anchored in the midst of the storm. But it's easy, isn't it, to begin to manipulate God if we're not careful. God, if you just do this, I promise. Really? I mean, if it's true, great, but what if it's not true? We're just playing games with God. There's going to be great consequences, and that's His point. I think this is very interesting when you look at Matthew, and I want you to write this down, Matthew 5. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, and as I read these words from Matthew 5, 33 through 37, you're going to see very clearly that James had a very clear view of the Sermon on the Mount in mind here when by the power of the Holy Spirit he wrote this. Who was James? Do we know? Not a trick question. Yeah, half-brother of who? Jesus. So I think we can truthfully argue that we can see this here is just not a coincidence, but as we would often say, a God incidence. And here's the words, and just ask yourself as I read these, do these sound familiar? This is Matthew 5, not James 5. This is Matthew 5. These are the words of Jesus. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear, falsely, interesting, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's a throne of God, or by earth, interesting, for it's His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great King, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Some of you can identify with that, 37. Here it is. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Did you catch this? This is Jesus speaking. Let what you simply say be yes or no, and anything more comes from evil. Like this should be frightening to me and to you that we don't flippantly begin to make commitments. Again, the Pharisees, what do they do? Well, that's the context here. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus. 
Everything was about personal gain. How can I stack the deck in my own favor was their whole mantra of life. Who do I need to destroy in the process? I really don't care is what they thought. It's all about me and my gain and the ulterior motives. They always had loopholes. We got these religious principles in place, and you know what? Here's the deal. Uh, We're going to put this here, but there's going to be a fine print loophole that I can just squirm out of if I need to. That's how they worked. I swear by heaven this is true. Wasn't by God. You see how they did this stuff? So calculating, so cunning. They hated Jesus. They hated truth. And Jesus warns against this, not flipping oaths. It's all about what we say. Do we do what we vow to? Do we do what we're saying I'm going to be committed to? We'll look at 12b, we'll call it. James 5, 12b. So don't do this 12a, but do do this 12b, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, let your yay, your affirmation be your yes. It's all you need. Let your nay, your denial, your absolute negative, so to speak, be your no. It's all you need. Simply stated, you could just say it like this when you look at that 12b. You could just say, stand steadfastly on either your affirmation or your denial. In other words, what you say, stick to it. Have integrity. Be honest in what you say. Your yes, your no should be your bond, period. Your yes, your no should be your bond. Don't say it with your lips, talking to myself, and then rationalize and justify and cancel it out in my heart. No. Do what you say. Follow through is so key. Otherwise, we're hypocrites. This world doesn't need any more hypocrites. This world needs people that are real, that are honest, that are raw. And it's okay to say, you know what? I'm hurting, I'm broken. We no longer need to be and should be professional pretenders. Should be a people that say, look, man, we're, we don't have all the answers, but we're running hard after the one who does. His name is Jesus. And that should be our aim and our goal. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That thought really began to resonate this past week in my mind of asking myself, you know, am I truthful? Is my word really my bond? What's a convicting thought, isn't it? Boy, it's just so easy in the little things to fudge here and to fudge there, isn't it? To twist just a little, to distort just a little, to make sure that it fits the scenario that it fits what's going on in our own personal world, that it fits the narrative. It's easy. You know, one of the things we ask of you, 
you're a member here, is to be here. We believe that not because we're trying to be legalistic or check off a box. No, we know that when you're here, you're going to get fed the Word. Uh, We know that when you're in Sunday school, you're going to get fed the Word. When you're here on Wednesday night in discipleship, you're going to get fed the Word. Your your mind is going to be renewed. That that when you go out on a Monday morning and you're at work and and you don't understand what's going on and why it's so difficult and how you can't get along with that person and this person and there's so much contention and so much strife that, that you've been in God's house on Sunday, that you've fed your soul, that you're refreshed. Well, we understand though that there's times where Perhaps your work schedule changes, and even though you commit to being here, we know that there's going to be some fluidity there. We get this. You're sick. You can't be here. We understand this. This is referring to, in this illustration I'm giving you, of someone who says, I'm going to be a part of your fellowship, and I'm going to be committed, and I'm going to serve, I'm going to use my gifts, and then you never see them again. That wasn't a commitment. That person doesn't have a commitment issue. they got a heart issue. It's so important that we see that Christ's Word is not just a book, but it's our hope and our treasure. See, that's why key number two is so important. And key number two, it starts off again as a Christ follower, because that's what it's all about, being a disciple. As a Christ follower, I should not have to attempt to convince people that I'm a person of integrity and follow through. Number two, as a Christ follower, I should not have to attempt to convince people that I'm a person of integrity and follow through. I mean, if you have to convince people, if you've got to twist their arm, really, believe me this time, what does that do over time? If I do that to you, what does that do? How do you now view me? Well, there's now distrust, isn't there? You guys ever seen someone like that who you know, at first, you always give people the benefit of the doubt, and, you know, one thing kind of, well, that didn't follow through like it should have. Eh, everyone fails. But then number two and number three, and there's now a pattern, a habitual pattern, this person not following through. What do you do? Well, you trust them even more, right? Here, take all my stuff. No, you don't. You go, wait a minute, this is not good. This is discernment, being wise. We shouldn't have to twist people's arms. Please believe me. Please believe me. No, I'm not crying wolf again. Please believe me. Of course not. But what happens to the opposite? You know someone, maybe right now in your mind's eye, that you know when they say they're yes and they're no, you know you take that to the bank. That check will cash. I'm like, it's in the bank. You know it's been deposited. Because their word is their bond. That's the whole point of this verse. Do what you say. Do what I say as I speak to myself. And our actions must back up what we say. If we make a mistake, if we sin in that regard, we repent, we confess, and we ask the Lord, and we ask our brothers and sisters around us to hold us accountable, to help us in this. Because the biblical accountability will now infuse biblical unity. There's, there's oneness when you have great biblical accountability. If you don't have it, You'll never truly have biblical unity. It won't happen. So let me give you some verses here. I'm going to give you several under this key number two. I want you to write these down and and just listen as the Word is read here. This is one Scripture after another that is just powerful because it's Scripture. Here's what it says in Proverbs 10.9. Write it down. Proverbs 10.9. 
Whoever walks in integrity, so whoever lives in integrity, walks and lives securely. Did you catch the connection here? If you're going to live in integrity, there's going to be security. So many people in our culture are insecure for a variety of reasons, but perhaps one of those reasons is maybe there's a lack of integrity. It goes on and says, but he who makes his ways crooked, perverse, deceitful, will be found out. Did you catch that? So if I, if you, if we have ulterior motives that are going to feed the me monster to try to get what we want, to dull the pain and fill the void of life at our home, our business, our ball team, and our church, here's the deal. At some point, time will be the great exposer of who we all really are. I will be found out. You will be found out if you're not living for the Lord. If I'm not living for the Lord, at some point, the charade of popsicle sticks is going to come crashing down. How about Ephesians 6.6? 6, 6? Ephesians 6.6, 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, very key, but as bond servants. Did you catch this? Let me read this again. Not by the way of eye service, what's on the surface, let's please everyone on the surface. No, no, no. But as bond servants, douloses, willing slaves. Here's my life, Jesus. Man, you take it and use it for your glory. Doing the will of God from what church? From the heart. How about Philippians 4.8? Philippians 4.8, Paul writes here to the church in Philippi, finally. So kind of above all, here it is, same type of thing here. Listen up, big deal. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Did you catch this? Why is it so important to think on truth? Why is it so important to think on things that are commendable? Why is it so important to think on things that are lovely? Why is it so important to think on these things? Well, we act on what we think about. Here's a question for me and you. What do you think about when you have nothing to think about? Where does your mind go? Where does my mind go when I have nothing to think about? I pray for me. I pray for you that We're thinking about the Lord in everything we do. Because from the heart, we know it's deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? So it's already there. The mean monster is just screaming. It's it's craving to be satisfied and fed. And my mind, the data center begins to control. Okay, am I going to act on this? Am I going to act on the deceitfulness that maybe I'm even rationalizing right now? i got to think on these things. What I think on is what I act on. Well, these last three references I'm going to give you are from the book of Job. I thought it was important to go back to Job for a moment because James did in verses 10 and 11. He was talking about suffering and he said, consider the steadfastness of Job. So Job 2.3, pretty easy to remember. Job 2.3, if you can count, you can remember Job 2.3. And the Lord said to Satan... Have you considered my servant Job? 
But there is none like him on the earth, a blameless, upright man who fears God. He turns away from evil. Have you considered him? Boy, do you want to be a Job? Do you want to be one of those guys that, one of those gals that you're living so much for the Lord? Not to impress anybody, not to be eye-pleasing. No, but you're, you're so dialed in. There's, there's so much vertical communion. There's such a desire to have oneness with Him that, that even that you know that if the Lord was to put you in that place and the Lord says, have you considered my, my servant you? Put your name in there. And you know the hits are going to come that, you know, it's okay. It's okay that even if God slays me, I'm going to trust in Him. Is there that thirst and that hunger and the desire, that craving in my life and your life? He still holds fast his what in verse 2? Verse 3 of Job 2, his integrity. Don't miss that. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Wow. And then you see the byproduct of that in Job 2.9. Then his wife said to him, that's Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. You see that? In the midst of him being the person that he's called to be, this integrity that who we are when no one else is watching. He says, no, I'm going to continue to walk in truth and grace and mercy and holiness and no matter what happens in my life, I know my anchor is going to hold sure. And he puts a big bow on it. In Job 27, 4 through 6. In Job 27, 4 through 6, my lips will not speak falsehood. My tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right till I die. Don't miss this, church. This is basically above all. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Do you see the declaration there? He's declaring. He's making a resolution. He's resolved. Just like Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not take the king's food to devile himself. He knew the mission. Verse 6, I hold fast. I love that thought. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. He's, he's holding fast. He's, he's clinging to His hope. His hope is not in this life. His hope's in God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's holding on because as we read last week, He knows His Redeemer lives. And when you know that your Redeemer lives, you know He's the only hope. So here's the why, here's the warning, if we choose to be flippant with our commitments, here's the warning from Scripture, we'll call it part C of verse 12, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So remember, there's so many instances in Scripture where there's a command, a teaching, and then there's two words, so that. In other words, do this, and now here's going to be the result. If you choose to not do this, here's going to be the result. 
We see good consequences. We see negative consequences throughout life and even through Scripture. Right here, he's saying, look, if you're going to do this, there's going to be pain. There's going to be great pain. But he's saying also here, he's saying, look, don't do this so that you won't have the pain, the condemnation. It's the why. Here comes the result. Here comes the truth is what he's saying. What does he mean by condemnation? Well, it's simply to be open and to invite God's judgment. So think about this for a moment. How many of you got up this morning going, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to have God condemn me today and judge me today. Of course you didn't. You'd have to be a lunatic to do that. But yet what we do unwittingly is when we make rash vows and oaths and commitments and we don't keep to those. Our word is not our bond. We're hypocrites in what we say. We're actually falling under God's judgment. And so many times I see this in homes and businesses, ball teams, and even churches. People are scratching their head going, why isn't God working? It's pretty obvious. Perhaps He's taken His hand of blessing and favor off, at least for a season. Perhaps there's some condemnation going on, some judgment going on there. There's, there's pruning going on. Because a little leaven will certainly leaven the whole lump. And that's why key number three is so important. Our last key. Here it is. Key number three. Here's what the Word inspired my thought process. And I just wrote this down. Key number three. As a Christ follower, I must remind myself that God hates all sin. Key number three. As a Christ follower, I must remind myself that God hates all sin. Not some. All not the big sins. Yes, he does, but he hates all sin. Even the rationalized, justified, respectable sins that we love to cohabitate with, that we justify. It's not a big deal. It's a real big deal. Sin is always a really, really big deal. There's consequences. You say, well, how do you know? Well, here's scriptures that I pray will encourage and inspire us to live a life of holiness. So write down Exodus 20, verse 7. Exodus 20, verse 7, and here's what it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So these are the Ten Commandments. Here's the why. For the Lord will do what? Will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now this is very important, so often when we hear this command, we think of not saying, oh my, correct, right? And by the way, when I hear believers say that, I just cringe. It's like, can you think of something else to say? I mean, really, do you need to disrespect my God? Do you really need to do this? Is it really this important that you've got to just take His name flippantly? Well, so often we attribute that definition to that Ten Commandment. I believe we can argue that fits in there. But when you really study this in the, the context, it, it goes back to what James is addressing so often in that day, there was this great easy believism, so to speak, that, hey, we'll just make all these oaths and we're taking God's name in vain as we attach His name to our deception. Well, in the name of the Lord, we're going to do X, and then we have no intention of doing it. It's vain. It's empty. It's vanity. My God's name is not empty. My God's name is powerful. My God's name is trustworthy. My God's name is holy. He's beautiful. He's indescribable. That's my God's name. And there he says in his word, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Did you catch that? Who takes his name in vain. 
He's not going to sit back and go, yeah, enjoy yourself. There's going to be great pain in that suffering. How about Psalms? Look at Psalms 5, 4 through 5. Write that one down. Psalms 5, 4 through 5. It says this, for you, I love this, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. In case you were wondering, there it is. Evil may not dwell with you. He doesn't cohabitate with it. The boastful, the prideful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Church, if you and I are living in sin today and we somehow have convinced ourselves that God is okay with it, we're only deceiving ourselves. I can't live in sin and God go, hey, you know what? You're doing pretty good. Keep up the good work. No, He's going to work on my heart. He's going to prune and refine me because right here, He can't cohabitate with evil. So many times we have a low view of obedience because we have a low view of sin. That's why Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 cuts to the core. When the word says this, there are six things that the Lord hates, he detests. Seven that are an abomination, they're disgusting, is what that means to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises and schemes wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. There's lies again. Do you see this? And lastly, and one who sows discord among his brothers. God hates this stuff. Literally, that word in the Hebrew, abomination, refers to being disgusting. God looks at it and just wants to vomit. Like it's disgusting. People go, my, my family's a wreck. I always ask them, okay, tell me. Tell me what's going on here. Well, sure enough, as James already told us, where there's selfishness and envy, confusion and every evil thing will be there. There's the cliff notes. You see it right here. That is all over those verses. There's the mean monster. I, I got to have me. I got to lie and get my way. I got to sow discord. I'm going to hate. I'm going to kill. I'm going to lie again. You see the mean monsters all over this. It's called the enemy of self. And for the true believer, even though we're still in the body of death, we're no longer under the control of the enemy of self. We're now under the control of the Holy Spirit. So what does Isaiah say? Isaiah 59.2, I love this, Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He doesn't even hear you anymore. Do you catch this? That when you and I live in sin, we are now clogging the pipeline to God. He's not hearing. He's not listening. We've got to get out of the cohabitation of sin and go into the extermination of sin. Colossians 3, Paul writes there, 5 and 6. He really ratchets this thing up and, and lays down the hammer when he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. Kill it. Mortify it crucify it. Go to war against it's what he's saying. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Like that should terrify us. That if we live in these things, we're destroying our own life. We're stunting our own spiritual growth. We're destroying our own family, stunting its spiritual growth. We're helping destroy the church and stunt its spiritual growth. That's how serious sin is. 
Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put it to death. Don't make any excuses. Don't blame your accountability partner because he didn't confront you. Go to war against it. Take personal accountability. We've got blame shifting going on everywhere in our culture, and it's getting worse. Why? Because it's all about relativism, right? That's what you're seeing happen now. That's what you see happen right now. You're going to see it in 21 like never before, in my opinion. Relativism. Hey, it's just whatever you want to believe, right? Your truth, your truth, and you're not hurting anyone. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There is only one truth, and it's Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What are you going to do when you get tested? What are you going to do when you might lose your job? What are you going to do when your family wants to abandon you? It's coming. I promise you. It's coming. You're going to bend? You're going to buckle? You're going to break? You're going to stand tall for the truth of God's word. First John says it like this, 1, 6 through 10. First John 1, 6 through 10, if we say we have fellowship with Him, this glorious fellowship, this communion with Him while we walk, while we live in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship, communion with Him, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God, Amen. However, here we go back and forth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive who? Ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Hey, go to church every Sunday. Praise Jesus. According to the Bible, though, the truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, however, He is faithful and He's just to forgive, to pardon us from all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. I think one of the most damning, heartbreaking things that could happen to me is someone could approach me and say, I had no idea you were a Christian. I don't know if there's anything that would cut so deeply. I pray for me and you that we'll be a people that as we ask the takeaway question, we'll answer honestly. No pun intended, but when you look at the takeaway question, it just simply asks, am I an honest person or a dishonest person? I mean, how much dishonesty do I need to have in me to make me a dishonest person? If your answer is, well, most of the time I'm honest, what does that say about our hearts? What does that say about our witness? What does that say about our hypocrisy? Well, here's the action step as we prayerfully leave here with a, a heart hungry to obey by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will seek to daily live a life of honesty and integrity. I can't do it in my flesh. I've actually tried it. It doesn't work. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
but I also have to seek it. I got to want it. There's got to be a desire there. If all we're doing is hearing, hearing, we only retain about 20% of what we hear unless we write it down. How much are we really taking out to the workplace tomorrow? How much are we really being transformed? How much are we really becoming renewed by our minds? There's got to be an intentionality to go to war. Go to war against our sin, that is. You know, the church should strive to be a spiritually healthy hospital, I believe, for the spiritually sick. So often we call it a house for the saints, and I get it, and I understand the thought, but I'm no saint, I can guarantee you that. So my vision is this would be a spiritual hospital for the sick, the spiritually sick, and I pray this place will be spiritually healthy. I pray God, by His power, by His might, will remove all oppression and all deception, that we'll be a people that, that live a life that's desiring to be all in for Jesus. Those hospitals around our area typically have a lot of disease in them, but have you noticed that the whole hospital isn't diseased? Why? Well, they got fences up everywhere, so to speak, guardrails. They got accountabilities in place that keep them healthy and the home and the church are no exception. Dealing with diseased people will overcome the home and the church if there's not proper accountability measures in place. Vance Havner said it like this, we have suffered from the preaching of a cheap grace. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. People will take anything that's free, but they are not interested in discipleship. They will take Christ as Savior, but not as Lord. In quote. Oh, how true that is, isn't it? Give me a cup of Jesus. Catch in a few Sundays. No longer will that be the case, I believe. We're going to be called out in this culture. We're going to get canceled. Watch out. Here comes the cancel culture for Christians. Buckle up. It's coming. Are you prepared? Are you anchored? Is your faith real? Is it true? If it's not, you will bend. You will buckle. You won't stand the furnace. Because when you're lost, so often you don't understand you're lost till you're lost. So true, isn't it? For us men who are so easy and desiring to stop and ask for directions. Of course, that's not the case. We typically wait till we get lost. And then we still tell people that we know where we're going, don't we? Now, the reality is there's so many people that are spiritually lost inside churches, outside of churches, inside homes, outside of homes. They're lost. They have no idea where they're going. And that's why you and I who are saved must cling to the old rugged cross. We must cling to the truth of Scripture. We must cling to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, that as the Word of God dwells in us richly, that we would be renewed by the Word, that it would do something within us as we're shaken to the core. So how does your witness go and how's my witness going when it comes to doing what we say? Are we, are we following through? Are we committed I pray that we are. Father, we come before You and as we ponder Your Word, as we just meditate on Your truth, 
God, I just ask, would you, would you work in our hearts? Holy Spirit, I pray in this room today, would you stir? Would you move? Don't allow us to rebel. Don't allow us to defy. But I pray there would be open palms and open hearts and open minds that as you're working on me, and I pray you're working on all of us, that God, that you would do so in such a way that we would know clearly it's you saying, this is the way to walk. Do not turn to the right nor the left, but walk in this way. Walk in this truth. And God, as we suffer and we do, God, I pray we would not begin to bargain with you and make deals with you to just get out of the furnace, but that maybe you have us in the furnace for such a time as this to redeem the time. So would you move, God, and stir in my heart and all of our hearts today. Do something. We pray. Do something. Make us new. Transform us. Remake us. Restore us. And God, to you be the praise. To you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.